Today, we know as Palm Sunday. And uh, if you read in the biblical account, we read of Jesus as He came down to Jerusalem there in preparation for the Passover. But Jesus knew this was the Passover that all the other Passovers had been looking forward to, the Passover when He Himself would be the Lamb, sacrificed for our sin. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, ask Him to bless our service, and thank Him for what He's done for us. Father, we thank You today. Thank You for sending Jesus. We know that You love the world so much that You gave Your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We thank You for the eternal life that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know You as their Savior, I pray that today they would understand and follow You as Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank You for our time that we can meet together to worship You this morning, that we have a reason to praise You because of what You did for us and because of Your resurrection from the dead. Lord, we look forward to this week as we meditate on and think upon what You have done and the great sacrifice that You gave on our behalf. Pray that You'd bless this service and all that is to come. We love You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So glad that you're here with us today for this special Palm Sunday service. We're looking forward to next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Of course, you know this. I say it a lot, but I'll say it again. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. That's why we're here on Sunday and not here on Saturday. And uh, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're looking forward to that time together next Sunday morning. We'll have some breakfast food for you at 9.15, so come a little early. Enjoy that. Invite your friends. Invite your neighbors. Many of us went out yesterday. I think we had 17 out yesterday to help us uh, pass out flyers. There was some threat of rain. I woke up in the morning and I thought, all right, do I have to go out this morning or is it going to rain out? But fortunately, the rain held off and we had a wonderful time out yesterday morning. We got to visit I was kind of guessing, figuring up probably 500 homes yesterday morning. And I know my family, we had some good conversations with folks who said they would uh, join us for Easter Sunday next week. So be praying towards that end. And if you can help us this week, we still have plenty of invitations to hand out. We can use your help throughout the week. Take some as you leave this morning. And uh, also, if you uh, can make it this coming Saturday morning at 930 We'll meet here at the church. Right now, the weather looks very good for next Saturday. And uh, we'll go out in our community and invite some more folks out for this day. Whether you can come or not, though, this is something all of you can do. You can all pray. And sometimes we get so focused on what we do, 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 and go, 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 we forget about the one who really has the power. Next Sunday morning, I'm not going to go into anybody's house except my own and get people out of bed and bring them to church. I'd have to do that with my family and my children, and you do that with your families. But we're not going to be able to go into someone else's house and get them out of bed and get them to church, but I believe the Lord could do that. The Lord could encourage somebody, remind them of the importance of being together and worshiping our Lord and Savior. So I'd ask you to pray towards that end. Maybe you have some folks that you've been inviting. Pray for them this week, each day, that the Lord would encourage them to come and be a part of that special day. I'm thankful this week for folks in our church who served in various ways. God has been good to us. He provided some needs this week. We were able to get a little more fencing put up around the sides this week. We still have a long ways to go, 
But uh, that was a blessing just to get that done. And uh, thankful for David Palacios and some of his crew coming over and doing that on, uh, earlier this week. And then the Johnson family was over here the last two days and finished trimming out the front two rooms. We just have a little bit of painting left to do up there. But just trying to make those places nicer for our children, for the adults and our teens that use those classrooms. I'm thankful for that. Well, we have somebody special, a couple special people to recognize this morning. I asked Anna Tanner to come and Crystal Cavazos. Uh, Anna has begun or has finished now going through the continue book with Crystal. And I'd like her to maybe say a word about that this morning. Well, it's been um, a privilege just to go through the continue um, Bible study book. Um, I not only know that it helped Crystal a lot, but it was an encouragement to me. And and, and even going through Bible college, being out for several years, it was just all a lot of great reminders and um, just convicted myself as well. And then um, just meeting together every week, or not every week, just, you know, skipping weeks, Um, but just getting that fellowship um, whenever we got together. It really grew our friendship and accountability, and so I just encourage others who haven't gone through it to um, jump out and go through it. And then I'm just um, also encouraged through her testimony of just wanting now to see her family saved and um, just wanting to stay faithful and committed just like she was through the book but just to church now and just she already said that she's already going back through the book just to remind herself and to just get it again. So that was an encouragement as well. Very good. Here's your certificate, Crystal. Congratulations. Here's a little book that'll help you with your Bible study. Let's give her a hand. How many of you would commit to pray for Crystal's family that they'd come to Christ? Anybody? Would you write that down, make it, put on your prayer list, whatever you need to do to remind yourself? And let her know that you're praying for her and for her family. That'd be a blessing to her and uh, be a help. And if you do that, I know that would be a great, great encouragement. Well, we're going to have our scripture reading here in just a moment. But before Freddie comes, I just want to introduce it just a little bit. I finished preaching a couple weeks ago through 1 Thessalonians. So we're going back to the book of John, which we started last year. And then we stopped for a little bit to focus on a few other things. But we're going back to that. I'm skipping forward just a little bit because I want us to look at the time period in the book of John that is surrounding the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we'll go back and get back to those chapters we finished in John 15 uh, back in October. So if you're one of the people that keeps track of where we're at, I do too. So we'll go back and we'll get uh, chapters 16 and 17 and 18. But this morning I've asked Freddie to read from John chapter 19. And here in John chapter 19, it's actually moved past Palm Sunday. This is the story of Jesus as he's being brought before Pilate. Pilate was the Roman leader that had been put in charge over the land uh, or over Jerusalem there. And Jesus was brought on trial before Pilate. And so this is some of that story this morning that Freddie's going to read to us. So I ask you to listen as Freddie comes and reads to us from God's Word. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scorched him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, 
Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and said unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou could, thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth, thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in the, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he said unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Let's take our Bibles, turn to John chapter 19 this morning. John chapter 19. Hope you make plans to join us next Sunday. We're going to have a special presentation next Sunday that follows along with that wonderful idea that this introduced to us of the tomb being empty about resurrection. Resurrection, new life. Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 19. This week is we look towards the or through the events of what happened many years ago when Jesus went to the cross. This is that week sometimes known as the Holy Week or the Passion Week. This week immediately preceding the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you study the Timeline, Jesus on Sunday went down to Bethany to visit some of his close friends, a man by the name of Lazarus. Anybody know why Lazarus was famous or what he's well known for? The fact that Jesus brought him back to life. Three days he was dead and Jesus brought him back to life. And Lazarus had two sisters. We know them as Mary and Martha. Mary was known for sitting there at the feet of Jesus and listening and learning while Martha was busy in the other room serving and all of those things. Then later we read of Mary and Martha when 
when Lazarus has died, they call, they send for Jesus, and <coughs> Jesus delays his coming. When Jesus does come, they say, Jesus, what were you doing? If you had come, our brother could have been saved. That's how we look at God sometimes, isn't it? God, if you would just do things on our timetable, it would work out a whole lot better. But Jesus said, no, he came when he came because it was for the purpose that he would be glorified, would bring glory to his Father. See, Mary and Martha had no idea that Jesus was going to go and visit Lazarus' tomb and look there at that tomb where he'd been buried for several days. And in the words of Lazarus' sister, she said, Lord, he stinketh. But Jesus looked at that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus did come forth. See, Jesus has power over death. So he had gone back to visit these friends there in Bethany. While he was there, because of the testimony of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, Jesus had tremendous opportunities to share who he was and why he had come, that he truly was the Son of God. Then the Bible says on the next day, it tells us over in the book of Luke, this would have been Monday actually, Jesus then goes down to Jerusalem. So really Palm Sunday really should be Palm Monday because he went down to Jerusalem on a Monday. But as he travels down to Jerusalem, he sends a couple of his disciples on ahead and he says, go, I'm going to send you to a particular place and there you're going to find a donkey and her colt, and I want you to bring them to me, he said, and if anybody asks you what you're doing, say to them, the Lord hath need of them. Isn't it interesting that Jesus knew that was going to be there? He knew where the colt was going to be. He knew that the person was going to let them go. I mean, how many of you, if a stranger came up and says, hi, I need to borrow your car, and you say, why? What are you doing? And they said, well, the Lord hath need of it. What would you do? I mean, that would have been the equivalent, right? I mean, this was their donkey. This was probably their means or mode of transportation. This is how they were going to get from point A to point B. But God worked in that person's heart ahead of time. They said, sure, here, take it. And Jesus then gets on the back of that donkey's colt a cult that had never before been ridden. This was a picture. This was fulfilling the prophecies. They would have known a king would have ridden in like this. And here comes Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And as he rides into Jerusalem, the people begin to put down their coats in the path. They begin to take them off and lay them down. This was, again, a sign of royalty coming in. They begin to pull off palm branches and wave them and cry, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were crying out, glory to the king. See, these Jewish people had been looking forward to their king for thousands of years. They had been thinking, the, the Messiah, he's going to come. And they thought, Jesus is the Messiah. And they were correct. But they didn't quite understand it all. See, they thought Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come in and he was going to throw off all of the Roman rule and he was going to establish himself as king on the earth and he was going to overthrow the Romans. See, the Jews didn't understand that they had a much bigger problem than the Romans. 
We're kind of in the same situation today. We often look at our life around us. We look at the situation, the world that we live in, and we see a lot of big problems. If I had asked for a raise of hands, you know, what's, what's the biggest problem in your life? We'd probably get all kinds of different answers this morning because we all have problems. But the reality is Jesus understood the deepest, the most uh, all-encompassing problem that everybody had. That problem was sin. See, without Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, all of these people had no hope. They were doomed to eternal separation from God. So Jesus, as He came in, we know this as His triumphal entry, the people worshipped Him, but the same people who worshipped Him then just a few days later crucified Him. See, Jesus wasn't the fulfillment to all of their hopes and dreams like they thought he was because the problem that Jesus came to solve was not a problem that they really wanted to acknowledge that they had. They felt like their religion was enough. They, they felt like they were pretty good people. But the reality is, folks, our religion is not enough. Amen. My goodness is not enough. The Bible says it this way, that your righteousnesses are as filthy rags so jesus comes in and the people worship him they're excited at his coming and then as he's in jerusalem the religious leaders they're trying to capture him they were very upset that people were worshiping him as messiah as king in fact some of the religious leaders when jesus was coming into jerusalem said to him make your disciples be quiet and Jesus looked at them and he said, if I told them to be quiet, even these rocks would cry out. Why? Because Messiah is going to be praised. He's going to be recognized. People are going to know who he is and why he came. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the promised one. Jesus, the Savior of the world. And as Jesus came in, there's a wonderful passage there in Luke, where Jesus comes and after he tells them even the rocks would cry out, the Bible says he beheld the city of Jerusalem and he was moved with compassion. I would ask you today, does seeing people in their lost estate, people that don't have Christ, does that cause something in you? Does that bring up some kind of emotion, some kind of challenge, some kind of need to do something about it. It did for Jesus. Jesus saw that city and He knew that this city had a big problem. It had a problem of sin. They looked at their problem as just the Roman authorities. And while that was a painful thing, that was just a temporary problem. Sin is an eternal problem that needs an eternal solution. And Jesus came to bring that solution. So after Jesus is there in Jerusalem for several days, as they are getting ready for the Passover, Jesus and His disciples, they go up into a place that Jesus knew was prepared for them, the upper room. This was a room in the upper part of somebody's house, and they went there and the man received them into his house, and Jesus and His disciples prepared to observe the Passover. In fact, just yesterday as uh, I was out in the neighborhood inviting folks to come 
to our special services next Sunday, trying to have the opportunity to share the gospel with some people. We ran a, I went to one house and knocked on the door, and the folks came to the door, and they're very friendly. They said, well, we won't be coming because we're Jewish. We're going to observe the Passover this week. I said, well, that's wonderful that you're observing the Passover. But the sad thing is for the Jew who doesn't understand that the Passover points to Jesus. They're close. Well, wouldn't it be wonderful for them to hear the good news that Jesus is the answer? Their religion points to Jesus all throughout those Old Testament laws, all throughout those festivals and celebrations that God commanded the Jews to observe. The Passover is full of indicators pointing to Jesus. That night in Egypt, when they were preparing the lamb, the Bible says they were to take a lamb that didn't have any blemish or spot. You know, Jesus never sinned. Jesus never did wrong. They said they were supposed to take this lamb and, and as they killed it and prepared it to eat it, they were to take the blood and put it above the door and on either sides of the door. Think of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us and as He hung on the cross. What a picture. The Bible tells us that this lamb was necessary for them to have so that the death angel would pass over their house. And it is important, it is absolutely necessary that we have Jesus Christ to forgive us for our sin so that the Lord might give us eternal life. All of the Passover points to Jesus. In fact, even in the bread that they would use, it was unleavened bread. We, we use that same bread when we observe the Lord's table here. It's the same kind of bread that they use for Passover meals. Even today, even the bread points to Jesus. It's unleavened bread. It's striped. It's pierced. It's broken as a picture of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. Even the drink that they take as they drink of the cup, it's a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sin. The Passover points to Jesus Jesus and His disciples, they got ready for the Passover that night. They observed the Passover. Jesus broke the bread. He gave it to His disciples. You remember there was one disciple, though, that left early. His name was Judas. Judas went and he went to find the chief priests and the religious leaders because he had decided in his heart that he was going to betray Jesus. His relationship with Jesus was not worth enough for him. And so for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, he was going to betray Jesus. And so that's what he did. Jesus, during this time, had gone down, not far away from where they were in the upper room, to the Garden of Gethsemane. This was a place where Jesus came apart to pray. And we can read and study of Jesus' great prayer before Almighty God that night as He said to God, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But he said, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus took of the cup. Jesus was willing to follow his father. Jesus was willing to obey God and to go to the death, even the death of the cross. That night, his disciples that Jesus asked to watch with him, Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray a while. The Bible says, they fell asleep. 
I see myself in those disciples. Maybe you see yourself in them as well. There's so many times when the serious, important things of what God wants us to do, we can miss it because we're so distracted or we're so tired or we're so uh, focused elsewhere that we miss what Jesus has for us. But as Jesus continued to pray that night, we know then that the religious leaders came, bringing a group of Roman soldiers with them. They came to arrest Jesus. And as they came, Judas came in front of the group and he went up to Jesus and he greeted him, gave him a kiss on the cheek as was the custom of the day. And he said to the men, this is, this is Jesus. Jesus, though, he steps up and he says, I am the one that you seek. The Bible tells us that those soldiers fell to the ground. See, Jesus wasn't ashamed of who he was. Jesus wasn't ashamed to follow God the Father and do what God had told him to do. Jesus was willing to go to the death for our salvation. And so then the religious leaders, they took Jesus, they arrested him, and they brought him before Pilate. Let's pick up the story here in John 19. Let's begin by looking at verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. That means he beat him. It means he would have used uh, what would have been common for the Roman soldier in that day, what was called a cat of nine tails. A whip probably with a wooden handle that would have had maybe as many nine or even more straps of leather coming out from that. The end of those straps would have had pieces of stone or glass or metal in them. Some of them even had hooks so that as the flesh was beaten, it would really rip the flesh apart. See, Pilate immediately takes Jesus, before he knows anything about him, before he knows what he's done, he just beats him. He scourges him. It says in verse 2, And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They were mocking him. You think you're king? Here's your crown. If you've ever seen some of the plants where those thorns, probably that crown of thorns was made from, you know those thorns were maybe three to four inches in length. Many scholars and historians believe those thorns not just would have cut through the skin, but could have pushed all the way through, even through the bones of his head. They took this crown of thorn, they put it on his head, and then they put on him a purple robe. Purple was a sign of royalty. They would have put this on a king, and Jesus was king, so they put this robe on him. And then they mocked him, verse 3, and said, Hail! King of the Jews. Think about this. This is the Roman authority, the oppressors over the Jews. And they're saying, who are you? This is the king of the Jews. Hail, king of the Jews, says, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Now this account of Jesus going before Pilate is found in all four Gospels. You can read about this story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you take all of those and study them out together to understand all the details, because realize each disciple is writing from a slightly different perspective. They're not disagreeing. There's no contradictions. But as you pull them all together, you find more details to put together the complete story. And we can read of at least seven times where Pilate declared Jesus 
to be innocent. So you ask yourself, why would Pilate beat and punish and later then send a man to be crucified who was innocent? This morning as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want you to think about this, that we must all choose our king. Who is your king? There are two kings discussed in John chapter 19. One was the king of that day, the ruler of the world. His name was Caesar. And Caesar was the Roman ruler who they would have worshipped as a god. He had all authority to do whatever he pleased. And then, of course, the second king in this passage is Jesus. And you're going to see as we study through John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16 this morning, that there's a, a big decision going on. Pilate has to choose who his king is going to be. And we know Pilate chose Caesar. The religious leaders, the Jewish religious men who would have been over all of the religious goings-on in the, in the Jewish culture, they had to choose who their king would be. Their choice also was Caesar. So my question for you this morning is, who is your king? Who is your king? I would tell you too many times, people will choose Caesar over Jesus. Choose your king. John chapter 19, verse number 4 says, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto him, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. First thing we can see from John chapter 19 verses 1 through 5 about our king is that our king is humble. Our king is humble. We have religious leaders who are agitating. We have political leaders like Pilate who are just trying to save face and get a promotion. They don't want any problems going on. They don't want the mobs to rule. They want Caesar to like them. We have an unholy alliance between the religious leaders and the political leaders of the day as they came together with a common enemy. See, the Jewish religious leaders and Pilate didn't normally get along. Because religious leaders, they wanted to be in charge. And Pilate, he wanted to be in charge. But they had a common enemy in Jesus. Because neither of them wanted Jesus to be in charge. So they joined together to crucify him. But Jesus is a humble king. Say, so how do we know he's humble? Well, first of all, we know he's humble because Jesus came down. Jesus came down from heaven. He gave up the beautiful streets of gold to be born in a manger. He gave up his throne for a stable. He gave up his kingliness that he had to become a carpenter. Why did Jesus do these things? Because our king is a humble king. Jesus is a humble king. He humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2 said, and became obedient unto death. Jesus humbled himself. 
As we study God's Word, I think there are really two basic things we can learn. The first is this, who is God? We can learn who God is. The second thing we can learn from studying God's Word is who we are. Who we are. And see, this is really, you can take every problem that goes on, every struggle, every disagreement, every argument that people have, and you can bring it down to those two issues, who God is and who I am. Because if I'm a sinner, then I need a God who's a Savior. But if I'm okay, like I am, then I don't need God. If God doesn't have all power, then He's not really the God of the Bible. If God isn't able to do what He says He's able to do, then I'm free to do what I want to do. As we study God's Word, we learn how good God is and how bad people are. I will tell you this morning, if your hope is in religion or in politics, you have a hope that will not be enough. It might feel good, might look good. Hey, if we could just get so-and-so elected, then we'd be okay. That's what the politicians would have you believe, right? Elect me and I'll solve all your problems. Let you in on a secret. They won't. You say, what's wrong with these politicians? They're all liars. I would tell you, they can't solve all your problems. People are looking for somebody that can fix their problems. But the answer is not in politics. Some people will say, well, if we just do enough good stuff, if I'm a really religious person and a nice person, if I help enough people, then that'll make everything okay. And I would tell you, while that may feel better to some of us who have grown up around religion, religion ultimately in and of itself is not enough. We need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ. Jesus, our King, is humble. We need to respond in love to our King who humbled Himself to win peace for each and every one of us. Jesus came down from heaven. Jesus allowed Himself to be humiliated, to go through the scourgings and the beatings and the crown of thorns that was placed upon His head because Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me. But look then, if you will, at verses 6 and 7. The Bible says, When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw Him, they cried out, saying, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Pilate saith unto them, Take ye Him and crucify Him, for I find no fault in Him. Doesn't that statement just not make sense to you? Take ye Him and crucify Him, for I find no fault in Him. Talk about killing an innocent. Why would Pilate do this? Because I would tell you the political leader ultimately who doesn't serve God is out for himself. Pilate didn't want any big problems with the people he was leading because he wanted Caesar to promote him. If you read about Pilate in some of the history books, Pilate was born kind of in a poor family, grew up out in the country. And here he is now, he's made his way up into a place of leadership, ruling over Jerusalem. Pilate is on the upward career path of politics. 
He doesn't want any problems. He's looking for peace. He's just trying to make the crowd happy. So he will go against what he absolutely knows to be true just to try to make everybody else happy. Kind of sounds like some people today, doesn't it? Do we ever go against what we know to be true just because we think it'll make everybody happy? It'll calm people down. I will sometimes compromise my own standards so that nobody gets upset. This is what Pilate was doing. Do you ever act like Pilate? You see, when we act like that, it's we're really making a choice between who our king is. Who's your king? If God is your king, if Jesus is your king, then I have to obey Him and put Him first and honor Him and glorify Him. Cry, Hosanna! Glory to God. But if Caesar's my king, then I'm going to make decisions about how things affect me and whether it's comfortable for me and whether I like this or whether I don't like this. This is what Pilate was doing. He took a man who he even declared seven times to be innocent, and then he said, but go crucify him. Go crucify him. Folks, when we act contrary to what we know is true from God's Word, we are no different than Pilate. Being willing to send out Jesus to be crucified, whom he knew to be innocent. You see... It's easy for us when things are good, when times are easy. It's easy for us to say, sure, I believe God. Sure, I'll obey God. Sure, I trust God. But what about when the whole crowd is looking at you and your job is on the line? What about when there's a mob and you're afraid, they might come get me. It's just easier if I just back away and go softly. Folks, who's your king? Who is your king? Choose your king. Pilate chose the wrong king. Look at verse 7, though. It says, Then the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. So we move here from the political leaders now to the religious leaders. And they begin to quote or bring up Old Testament law. So they're now trying to use the Bible to crucify Jesus, the God of the Bible. That law they're referring to, they're referring to Old Testament law. The law that said that we are not to blaspheme against God. Do you know what it means to blaspheme against God? It's to try to say that He's not God or to try to claim that you yourself are, are God when you are not. But see, Jesus wasn't being blasphemous to claim that He was God. Why? Because Jesus was God. If you were with us as we were studying through the book of John together, you'll know that over and over and over again, the religious leaders came to him and asked who Jesus was. And Jesus told him who he was. He said, I'm God. They said, well, how do we know that you're God? And he said, well, my words, what I say, but also his works. One of my favorite stories about that is the story when Jesus healed the man who couldn't walk. Bible tells us that his four friends brought him to Jesus one day because they wanted Jesus to heal their friend. But because there were so many people in the house where Jesus was, they couldn't get in by the door. So the Bible says they climbed up on the roof. Can you imagine being the guy laying on the pallet when your friends are carrying you up on the roof? 
they've been building a couple of houses next door to us in our neighborhood. And you see those guys climbing up on the roof and all over the place? Imagine if you were laying there on some sort of stretcher and as your four friends tried to hoist you up on the roof. That would have been a pretty scary event, wouldn't it? But these friends loved their friends so much, they said, we've got to get them to Jesus. The Bible says they took him up on the roof and they actually broke open the roof. They took it apart and lowered this man down at the feet of Jesus. So imagine the, the setting here, all right? Imagine you're all the people in the house here, okay? And you're all pressed in tight. And, and all of a sudden, the roof opens up right above us. Well, I wish I could have set that on cue and just happened. I would have really had your attention this morning. <laughs> and the roof opens up and, and this man comes down on a stretcher being held by ropes or some sort of means so that his friends can lower him to the feet of Jesus. And here Jesus is standing up front in front of the crowd teaching them. And they kind of have to move out of the way. I think the house was so full, they were pressed in close around Jesus. And move out of the way as this man comes down. You can imagine the dirt and the dust falling on their heads and just all of the commotion this would have caused. And here comes this man down and he's lowered at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus looks at the man. See, most of us would think Jesus would have said, get up to your feet, and he would have healed him. But that's not the first thing Jesus said to that man. If you read the biblical account, the Bible tells us that Jesus looked at that man and he said, your sins be forgiven you. Now imagine that guy's laid out on the stretcher in front of you. I mean, can you picture it? If, if, if it was me this morning and somebody came in like that and I just looked down, your sins are forgiven you, you'd say, he's nuts. And the religious leaders looked at Jesus and they thought, what is he saying? In fact, the Bible tells us what they thought. The Bible says they were thinking, who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus, because he's God, knew what they were thinking. And he said to them, he asked them a question. Jesus teaches a lot through questions. Jesus asked them a question. He said, which is easier to say? Thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise, take up your bed, and walk. And of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody really knows if it happened or not. Because if you take somebody who's been unable to walk for perhaps, I don't know if it's his whole life or much of his life, but for a long time, everybody knew this was a lame man. If you look at a lame man and say, rise, take up your bed and walk, people are going to know whether you're real or you're a fraud very quickly. So Jesus asked them, which is easier? And of course, they knew that it was easier to say your sins be forgiven you. So Jesus, to prove that he had the power to forgive sin. Jesus then looks at the man and he says, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And you know what? He did. The man got up, the Bible says, he packed up his bed and he left rejoicing. Why? Because Jesus is God. But these religious leaders here in John chapter 19 tried to take the Bible that God wrote and use it to crucify the God of the Bible. He said, we have a law. This man ought to be crucified. See, our king is not just humble. Our king is God. John chapter 5, verse 38 and 39 says this, And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, ye believe not. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. How do we know that Jesus is God? Because the Bible says so. 
How do we know that Jesus is God? Because His works demonstrated that He was God. He did things that only God could do. He raised men back to walk. He healed blind people, gave them their sight. He caused a woman with an issue of blood just as she reached out and touched the garment of Jesus. She was immediately healed. Jesus took Jairus' daughter who, had been, who was dead and he raised her back to life. The centurion servant, the Roman centurion, came to Jesus, said, My servant is sick. And Jesus said, Go thy way, your servant is healed. The centurion believed and he went. And sure enough, when he got back, he found that his servant was healed. Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. How did Jesus do these things? Because Jesus is God. These religious leaders wanted to crucify him because they said he was blaspheming. Pilate wanted to crucify Jesus because he just wanted to placate the crowd. He wanted to elevate himself. See, once again, we see the choice between who their king was. Is the king Caesar or is the king Jesus? I would ask you that this morning. Who is your king? Who is your king? What would you sacrifice for your king? Pilate wasn't willing to sacrifice his position for his king. In fact, he wanted to please Caesar. He wanted to take care of himself. The religious leaders, they didn't want to give up their religious position. They wanted to crucify Jesus. Jesus was not their king. The issue every day, even today, is this. Is Jesus Christ really God? That is of absolute fundamental importance when it comes to the Christian faith. Every other religion of the world takes a different view when it comes to whether or not Jesus Christ is God. There are some that follow various cults. And a cult is somebody who would claim to be Christian, but they've twisted the meaning of who Jesus Christ is. I'll quote to you from the Jehovah's Witness, one of their uh, documents from the Watchtower. They wrote this, Jesus never claimed to be God. The Mormons teach, in their teachings, teach that Jesus was a polygamist who was a half-brother of Lucifer. He was a man who became God. And you too can become God if you do enough good things. Folks, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Christian science founder, which by the way is neither Christian or science, but Mary Baker Eddy said this, Jesus is not God. I'm not saying that every person who's ever been in one of these churches doesn't know who Jesus is, but I'm telling you, these religions do not teach the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. So when someone comes to me from, and I've talked to people from these various religions, I'm not angry with them. I'm not upset at them. They're just confused. They're lost. They need to know who Jesus is. This is not for us to fight against them in the sense of trying to destroy them as people, but rather to love them as individuals, just as Jesus does. 
Many cults say Jesus is either not God or he's not the only God. Many different world religions believe different things about Jesus. Islam says that Jesus was a prophet, but he was inferior to their prophet, Muhammad. The Buddhists say that Jesus was an enlightened man, like the Buddha, but he was just a man. Folks, all of these teachings, and, and many people will look at it and say, well, I've studied world religions, I've looked at all these different things. The fundamental issue is this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I would ask you this morning, choose your king. Choose your king. Who is your king? Is it King Jesus? Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is God. What Jesus says is either true or false. You either have to take Him for everything that He is or reject all that He is. You must make a decision about who your king will be. And then verses 8 through 11 teach us this, that our king is Lord. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And went again into the judgment hall and saith to Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. You know why Pilate might have been afraid? If you go over to Matthew 27, I'll read verse 19 to you. Pilate had a conversation with his wife. This isn't the point of the message, men, but men, listen to your wife. <laughs> if, she, if God is, is challenging her about something, listen to her. God spoke to Pilate's wife in a dream. And in Matthew 27, 19, the Bible says, When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife, this is Pilate, sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Pilate ignored what his wife said. And you know, if you read the history books on Pilate, after Jesus was crucified later, he did receive that promotion that he was looking for. But not long after that, Pilate took his own life. How sad. I don't know all that went through Pilate's head. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Pilate knew that he was a just man. Pilate's wife told him that he was a just man. Pilate had every opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as his king. And he rejected it. He chose political ambition. He chose personal advancement. He chose his own career path over Jesus. And he'll regret it for all of eternity. Who's your king? See, Pilate is afraid. He knows that Caesar just wants peace and more taxes. This is the holiday season for the Jews in Jerusalem. They're getting ready for Passover. I got out my big book, my 
English translation of Josephus' writings this week. Josephus was a Jewish historian that wrote back in the end of the first century into the second century. And so his writings are very fascinating to study. While they're not the Bible, it's a historian that lived right after the time of Jesus. In fact, he was born just a couple of years after Jesus died. And when Josephus wrote, he said at the time of the Passover in Jerusalem, there would be some two and a half million Jews that would come into the city. See, Jerusalem normally was just a town or, or city of a, maybe 100,000 people, maybe a little more. Imagine this time of the year, two and a half million extra people. I mean, this is bigger than the Super Bowl. And they would all come in for the Passover. See, Pilate now is in charge of a town that has the biggest event of the year going on. And he just wants peace. He, he doesn't want the mob to get out of control because his few Roman soldiers that they had weren't enough to control that mob if they got out of hand. So Pilate just did whatever they wanted to let them leave him alone. Pilate comes to Jesus and he asks him this question in verse 9. Whence art thou? Where did you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. I find it interesting. Jesus doesn't always answer our questions like we want him to answer. It's true. But Jesus always asks good questions that teach us more about ourselves. It says, verse 10, Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? This is quite a statement Pilate makes. Jesus, you better answer me. Don't you know I can set you free or I can crucify you? Notice what Jesus says. Verse 11, Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Why should we choose Jesus as our king? Well, there's many reasons. But I would tell you one reason, as Jesus points out here in verse 11. Every king that's ever lived and ever will live on this earth got his power from God. Say, so, well, I won a war. I overthrew the leadership. Your power comes from God. Everything you have comes from God. Choosing to follow a king other than King Jesus is choosing to follow a lesser king who derives his power from God. It is only because God allows him to have that power that he has that power. God can set up kings and he can take them down. And he has done that throughout history. God's given kings opportunities to rule and they've been destroyed. Why? Because they didn't follow the true king. Pilate says, I'm powerful. Jesus says, no, you're only powerful because I let you be powerful. Pilate here, he's gripped with fear. Says in verse 8, he was more afraid. Jesus isn't filled with fear. He's filled with faith. Pilate is not free because he's fighting against the will of God. Jesus, even though he was the one on trial, is actually the free one because he's walking in the will of God. I would tell you there's no place more free than when you're walking in the will of God. 
When you do what God wants you to do, you are completely free because you are walking according to His will and His purpose in your life. When you're in bondage is when you walk according to your own plans. Because when you walk according to your own plans, you have no control whatsoever. Any control that you do have comes from God anyway. Pilate was the one in bondage. Pilate is concerned with winning. He's concerned with taking care of his job here. Jesus is concerned with worshiping the Father. Jesus revealed himself to Pilate as he spoke to him directly. Jesus revealed himself to Pilate as he spoke through his wife. God reveals himself to us. God can use angels. He can use dreams. In the Old Testament, he even used a bush to reveal himself. God gave Pilate, I think, every opportunity to do the right thing. We have Jesus standing before Pilate. Pilate didn't believe. Pilate put his job and his peer pressure ahead of the truth and doing the right thing. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Pilate's thinking short term. How's this going to affect me right now? Jesus is thinking long term. The salvation of the world. And the last line of verse 11 says, He that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Who, was, who were the ones that delivered Jesus to Pilate? It was those religious leaders. After he'd been betrayed by Judas. See, those men... He says there's a greater condemnation. Why? Because they knew the truth. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the Bible. But following Jesus meant giving up their own power. But they loved their own power more than they loved Jesus. So we see our King is humble. We see our King is God. We see our King is Lord. He's the one that gives power. And then finally this morning we'll see that our king is rejected. Verse 12 says, And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. So Pilate still tries to release Jesus. But the Jews cried out saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Hey, they got something right. Right? They said it right there. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. We live in a world like this today. I, I passed one of those, uh, a vehicle yesterday with one of those bumper stickers that says coexist. Nobody wants to speak out against anybody. Folks, we're not speaking out against you, but we have to speak up for the truth. We must stand for the truth. There's only one truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's why we ought to have compassion on the lost. Again, we're not out, we're not talking about what like what they did in the old days when they had the crusades. Those were not good things. Going and slaughtering people just because they didn't believe like they did. That, that's not what the Bible tells us to do. 
But we do need to stand up for the truth and righteousness. See, the Jews are saying, well, if you speak out against Caesar, then you're making yourself a king. That's exactly what Jesus did. Then verse 13, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. So they're getting ready. Passover's that night. They had to have all the preparations done. The sixth hour is about noon. It's the middle of the day. And they would have had to have all the preparations ready because when it got dark... When it got to be dusk, they had to be done preparing for the Passover. These Jewish leaders, they're in a hurry. They want to get back to their Passover. They want to get back to their celebration. They're tired of fighting against Jesus because Jesus is taking their power. They just want to participate in their holidays and carry on with their religion and go back to life as usual. But folks, life as usual without God is not life at all. Pilate is in a hurry to get this done. He then says, behold, your king. He's just trying to get it all to go away. Leave me alone. Let me go back to my life. And folks, many people today, that's how they treat Jesus as well. Jesus, just leave me alone. Don't try to push that truth on me. Don't try to tell me these things. Just let me be. Folks, if someone comes to you speaking the truth to you, receive the truth of God's Word. Don't stay where you're at if where you're at is away from God. Choose Jesus as your King and follow Him. Yes, this is a hard message. Yes, this is very cut and dry. Yes, this is very clear, black and white, however you want to divide it out in your mind. Folks, it's truth, and truth cuts sharp and it cuts straight. Our king is rejected. Verse 15, it says, They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, Here's their choice. We have no king but Caesar. These religious leaders broke their own Old Testament law when they said that. What is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. See, the way the Romans ruled, they would come in, they would take over a people, and they would pretty much leave them alone as long as they paid their taxes and as long as they said there is no other king but Caesar. But can a true follower of God say that honestly? No, because there's no other king but Jesus. And for these religious leaders to make this statement was for them to break their own law that they claimed to follow perfectly. They were willing to compromise truth to be able to get what they wanted. We have no king but Caesar. In verse 16, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Pilate rejected Jesus as king. The religious leaders rejected Jesus as king. They were essentially saying, Yahweh doesn't exist. There's no king but Caesar. 
They said, we worship Caesar above all other kings. They had this unholy alliance between religion and politics. It came together to condemn Jesus. There was a poll that went out recently among millennial Christians. Folks that claim to be Christians, but they're in the age group classified as millennials. And, and this poll found that most of the folks in that age group thought that evangelism was wrong. Sharing the gospel with somebody else is wrong. And here's why they said it was wrong. They said because faith is intended to be a private and not a public matter. A lot of people say that. Well, I can have my faith, you have your faith. It's private. It's private. Now, what you believe in your heart is incredibly important. But Jesus didn't go in a private way. Jesus died in a very public way. Jesus had to stand for the truth in a very public way. Jesus is not just Lord of your heart. Jesus is Lord of all. The whole reason they were rushing to crucify Jesus here, they hated what He stood for, and they wanted to get back to their holiday celebrations. They were all going to the Passover saying they were waiting for Jesus, for the Messiah, and they missed Jesus who was the Messiah. By saying that Caesar was king, they were denying the God of the Bible. The Bible is good news. So let me ask you, where's the good news in this message? Well, the good news is always about Jesus. Jesus, our King, is so good that He works good even in and in spite of bad news. Everything happening here in this story in John 19, lots of evil going on. In the middle of the story, it feels like evil is winning. And yet God works it out for good. We're getting to that. Next Sunday, we see how it all comes together for good. It seemed like it was over. Evil has won. Death is defeated. It's all over. But then early one Sunday morning, they went to the tomb and they found the stone had been rolled away. And when they went inside and looked, his body was no longer there. They found the grave clothes empty and the piece, the napkin that had been over his face folded and laid to the side. The tomb was empty. There's good news. But often in the middle of the story, it looks like evil is winning. Maybe in the middle of your story and where you're at in your life right now, you say evil is winning. I want you to know there's good news. Jesus is the good news. Jesus, your king, always wins. Say, well, it looks like, it feels like, it seems like. But the truth is, Jesus will win. Choose your king. Choose your king. Who's your king? Came across this this week. I thought it was a fantastic explanation of who our king is i'll read this and close the message there's no other king that could vanquish the war horse 
or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. There's no other king that could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king. The king of glory, son of the living God, not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another priest. Jesus was willing to give his life for the redemption of rebels to welcome the outcast. He was the one the world had been waiting for, the one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent. The one prefigured to Noah in the flood. The one promised to Abraham. The one guaranteed to Moses before he died. The one promised to David during his reign. The one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant. The one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Savior of the world and substitute for our sins. He is more loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus and there is no other king like Him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like Jesus. There is no other king. Who's your king? Who was Pilate's king? Very clearly it was Caesar. Who was the religious leader's king? Also Caesar. Who is your king? And if he is your king, then what should your response be? What does your king ask of you? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Give him your life. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when we close the service in a minute, come and I'll get somebody that can show you from God's Word how you can trust Him to know that your sins are forgiven. If there's some area of your life where you say, I've been living for myself and not for King Jesus, confess that to Him this morning. Let Him forgive you and purpose to go out in faithfulness for Him. Maybe you say, He's my King. I need to share that with somebody else. Help us as we get out the good news about Jesus, as we invite folks to hear the gospel, as we share the gospel with one another. Give back to Him. Serve Him with everything that you have. Who's your King? Let's stand this morning for prayer. The piano will come and play. God's been working in your heart about something. You come. You pray. I'll help you pray. I'll pray with you. If God's moving you to 
do something in obedience to Him, come this morning. Whether it's to join the church, whether it's to be faithful in service to Him in some area of your life, whether it is to confess something in your heart that you need to get right, whether it is to choose to follow Him in the first place. Would you do that this morning? Let's bow our heads. I'll pray, the piano will play, and then you come. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Work in our hearts now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.